But stand with me this morning. We are going to read Acts 1, 1 through 11 as our sermon text. Acts 1, 1 through 11. I'll give you just a bit to get there. We've been going through a series in the Gospel of Matthew. We finished that last week. But Matthew did not address... Oh, we have children who need to be dismissed for children's church. You guys made it all the way through the pastoral prayer. Man, nice job. I didn't even hear a peep. Teachers are like, all right, eight minutes less of teaching. I'm just kidding. That's not what they're saying. All right, so as they are making their way out, Acts chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1, we'll go through verse 11. My apologies, especially to the parents for forgetting that. They're always the one who struggle the most, keeping their kids quiet, especially during prayer. So my apologies to you. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke is writing Acts, and so Luke also writes the Gospel of Luke and is referring to that first book that he wrote. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, until after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. The doctrine of the ascension of Christ is almost completely missed when we study the person of Jesus. Not every gospel contains this incredible event of Jesus being taken up into heaven. When we look at the four main events in the life of Christ, we spend a lot of time talking about the other three. His incarnation or his birth, his crucifixion or his death, and his resurrection. We even have holidays that surround them. Christmas and Easter are major holidays, and Good Friday is a Christian holiday with the passion, within the Passion Week that gets its own service often, and rightfully so, right, with these events. However, the ascension is often an afterthought, if even thought of at all. All four of these major events in the life of Christ must each be present 
or the whole structure of redemption fails. If Christ does not come down to earth and take on human flesh, then there's no discussion at all about salvation and redemption. We never would have even known that there was something like that possible. The Son of God coming to earth and being made into man, taking on flesh, that's crazy talk if it didn't happen. If he comes to earth as the God-man, though, but he does not die for sin, then there's no sacrifice, and we are left to try and to appease God on our own. But if he comes in the flesh and dies a horrible death, but is not raised, then all the hopes and fears of all the years is over and gone, and death has won. But if Christ never ascended, then what is lost? Why is it so important that the resurrected Jesus should ascend into heaven? Let me try and illustrate it this way. Some of you know those home renovation type shows, right? Some of you know them because you watch them. Others of you know it because you hear about it all the time, right? They all generally have the same idea. You take a crummy old house and you make it gorgeous and up to date. And often the up to dating takes more money than the actual house cost. Typically they start by ripping everything out in the rooms that are being redone. They spend lots and lots of the homeowner's money. They take lots and lots of time. Sometimes they run into big foundation issues. Maybe there's mold. The homeowner has to decide, oh no, which do I really want more? Do I want the new range in the kitchen or do I want this because my money is running out with this new complication, right? It's always a little bit of drama that has to be thrown into the show. They do all of this often without the homeowner ever seeing the progress. If the owner drives by, they can see all this activity that might be happening outside, but they're never able to fully see what's going on inside. Then the big day comes, the reveal. And if you're watching the one show, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines have a canvas that's made, and they put it together, and you can't even, when the couple walks up, can't even see the house. Isn't that such a disappointment? All this time, all that money, and they can't even see the house that's behind it until... They pull back the partition, and there it is. After maybe months, weeks of waiting, all of that money spent, there is this home. They always cry. They always grab their mouth. They always say, oh, I just can't believe it. It's so beautiful and wonderful. But it doesn't stop there. The show can't stop right there. Everything's already been done to the house. The work has already been done. But if the show stopped with just pulling back the curtain and letting the reveal happen, the couple never moves in. They never actually get to live in the house. They never find out what it's like to live in a home that Joanna Gaines walked through and Chip touched stuff in. They don't get that feeling. They just get to hear about it and watch it on TV weeks later. When the screen is pulled back, they stand there and they see what all of this was for, the beauty of a home. And then they get to walk inside. And then when the cameras are off and everybody is gone, they get to live in it. And they can only live in it because the work was done. And they can only live in a beautiful house like this because this couple did the work. They could never have done the work like that themselves. This revelation, transformation happened and they're able now to finally 
live in it. The dramatic reveal transitions the owners and the house from merely work being done on it to now living in a newly redone home. The reveal is significant. The transition is necessary because it's no longer a couple fixing up your home for us, but now it's your house you live in that was done for you by some couple on TV. The same is true of the ascension of Jesus. It was the screen that when pulled back fully and finally allowed the disciples to finally make sense of the cross and to see what Jesus did when he died on the cross for them. The ascension makes redemption livable. The ascension makes redemption livable. The couple in this scenario did not fix up their home. They often do no work at all on the home. It's all done for them by someone else. And yet now they get to live in a beautiful home they never could have fixed up in this way. The incredible work Jesus has done in the incarnation, cross and resurrection, is glorious. But until the ascension, it cannot be lived in and enjoyed. And in such, it is still incomplete. Let's look at our primary passage in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are spending, as it says, 40 days with him. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. They're seeing many proofs appearing to them during 40 days. They're with the resurrected Jesus, and he's talking to them. He's eating with them. We see this in other parts of the Gospels and the New Testament accounts of Jesus after the resurrection and some of the activities that he did and who he appeared to. But he's talking with them about the kingdom of God. And yet, after his death and resurrection, the disciples still ask Jesus, revealing that they still have not gotten what this is all about. They ask him if he will at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. So Jesus, now that you've resurrected and you're telling us about the kingdom of God, boy, that's really great. Uh huh. Yeah, but what about the kingdom of Israel? You remember this before? Yeah, that. What about that? And Jesus tells them, now is not the time to be talking about that. It's not for you to know times and seasons and these things. They still don't get it. Let's go back to the couple whose house has been renovated. It would be like them. Their home is being renovated, saying to Chip and Joanna, yeah, this house is great, and all the work you did is pretty amazing. It's really beautiful. But when are you going to fix up our home? What about our old home? Remember that? When are you going to fix up that? And they look and they go, but we just did your home. This was your home. This is now your home, and it's beautiful. Yeah, 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 we get all of that in the text, kingdom of God stuff. But what about the old? What about that old thing? Remember that old floor? Oh, you think you could get that back? That was so fun. I loved how it had all those cracks and the carpet was really worn in certain places, really showed where the kids made some spills. Great memories. Nobody does that, right? But the disciples still don't get it. They don't get that this is their home. This is what God has been doing all along. It's all been about the kingdom of God, not something they used to know. Not something that was past, that was familiar to them, but it's about Jesus and what he is doing and his leaving them 
is necessary and a part of that. The disciples need something more, which is pretty weird to say because we know that Jesus has already worked eternal redemption for them. But even Jesus says twice in Acts chapter 1 that there is something else for them that is needed. Notice that Jesus says in verse 5 that in a few days they will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not just the baptism of John, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have heard me. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses down later, he states that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will receive power and become his witnesses to the ends of the earth. But for the Spirit to come and the work of Jesus to continue, he must leave. The ascension was necessary for the plan of God and the continuing work of the Trinity. And the ascension is incredibly beneficial for us as God's people. We're going to look at three ways. That the ascension continues the work of God in a way which none of the other, his other activities could. And we will see how those continuing works of God are beneficial to us as God's people. We'll look at three ways. That the ascension continues the work of God in a way which none of the other works could do. Not his incarnation, not his death, not his resurrection, but the ascension in particular. And we'll see how those continuing works that God will do are beneficial to us as his people. Now, if you are like I was, you might be going, really? The ascension? Like, he just goes up into heaven, right? This morning, though, while we always get our answers from Scripture, this morning we also see a tool that Christians have been using since 1563, in which we will see a question and an answer, a question that was given, how does Christ's ascension benefit us at all? How does Christ's ascension into heaven, his going up into heaven, how does that benefit us? Well, you're not the first one that's ever asked that. Actually, Christians in 1563 asked it, and they had a church council who met and wrote down an answer that's biblical and really helpful. So for almost 460 years, Christians have been studying this very question and answer. How does the ascension of Jesus, something that is often forgot about, how is that beneficial to us? The document that was used in churches for 460 years originated in Germany. And it's the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a big reason why on a monthly basis now we read questions and answers from catechisms. Because one, they've been around for a long time. Two, they're really biblical. And three, they're really, really helpful. Short, succinct answers to be able to encourage us as God's people how the scriptures and its doctrines apply to us today. So Heidelberg question number 49, not to sound too weird, but Heidelberg question number 49 asks, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? Some of the answers are found here in Acts chapter 1. Some of them are found in other passages that we'll turn to. But number one, Christ's ascension, the catechism says, benefits 
because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our Lord Jesus in heaven is pleading our case so that whenever Satan accuses us in our conscience or dates to lay a charge against us before the Father, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, our flawless advocate, stands ready to defend us and plead his own blood for our sakes. Christ is our prayer partner in heaven, you could say. He intercedes before the throne for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. In a passage that is really well known for, what can separate us from the love of Christ? In that passage, Paul writes, who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? But he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on and says, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Jesus cannot be our intercessor, our advocate, without ascending to the right hand of the Father. After Jesus ascends into heaven, or better yet, the scriptures say, is taken up into heaven, something that was done to him, not something he does on his own accord, the scripture says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen sees this as he's being stoned to death. He lifts up his eyes and he sees As it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The work of Christ now, post Incarnation, death, and resurrection. Now in his ascension, his work now, his session, as it's called, is to intercede on our behalf. How incredible. That that work would not have been accomplished, that work would not be going on apart from his ascending into heaven. But because Christ has ascended, you and I now have an advocate with the Father. We love the work of advocates on behalf of those who are needy, those who cannot advocate for themselves. And yet to think that the eternal Son of God is your advocate to the Father. Chad Van Dixhorn states this, Jesus did not stop working on the day he ascended, but instead he cleared a pathway to heaven just as he prepared heaven for us. And he has been busy gathering his church from around the world, giving her gifts and graces, defending her from enemies, and guiding her in truth and holiness. You and I have an advocate, one who because Christ is who he is and has done what he has done, God exalts him, as Philippians chapter 2 says, and is now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding always, always lives to make intercession for us. Brothers and sisters, that is incredibly comforting and humbling in any and any circumstance to know that in the midst of your most vile thoughts, that the Son of God is interceding on your behalf to the Father, that you would not be rejected for that, 
but forgiven, accepted, based on his righteousness and not on yours. Trust in the intercessory work of Christ on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, look to Jesus in the midst of your sin. That will draw us to repentance and worship anew. Van Dixhorn continues and says, in spite of our daily failings, we do daily fail. It's good for us just to say that over and over again. In spite of our daily failings, in spite of the accusations of our enemy, he, Christ, is there to quiet our conscience, to encourage our prayers, and to accept us and our services. Not only that, not only is that the benefit that we receive because of Christ's ascension to have an advocate who intercedes for us, but secondly, the Heidelberg Catechism continues and says, second, Christ's ascension benefits us because we now have our own flesh in heaven. Some of you are going, wait a second. My own flesh is sitting in a blue chair in the midst of this church. Catechism continues, we have our own flesh in heaven. Our lives are hidden with Christ who dwells in glory above. Colossians chapter three, verse three says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Reckon yourself, Christian, to see the scriptures that say you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. Where is Christ right now? Well, he's in heaven, seated right on the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Christ's flesh in heaven is a guarantee that ours will be there too someday. Our hope is not in eternity as disembodied souls, but real, resurrected, material human bodies in God's presence forever. Christ's body is the first one to be there, but not the last. Notice that we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, while they were standing there gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That phrase maybe could be taken a number of different ways. But this Jesus who was just taken from you in the flesh, flesh that you could touch, flesh that could eat, flesh that could walk and do things and speak and think, that flesh, not a disembodied soul, but that flesh who just was ascended into heaven will come in the same manner in which you saw him go into heaven. Sometimes it's a new thing for us to realize that Jesus exists in the flesh, in a resurrected body in heaven, not as a spirit, but he remains a human forever. He remains the God-man for all of eternity. When he took on flesh, he never then goes up to heaven and says, whoa, glad that thing's gone. Remains a man forever. And now that this man exists in heaven with whom we are hidden with, you and I exist already in heaven. The deposit has already been given. You are sure to be there because you're already there. 
Patrick Schreiner, writing on the ascension, says Christ descended to ascend. These two acts don't cancel each other out. They restore what was broken at the fall. Descent and ascent are a twofold movement. In the one, he comes in the flesh to us. In the other, he brings us in the flesh to God. Christ descends in order to bring God to humanity. And he ascends to bring humanity to God. Not only do we have an advocate who sits or stands as Stephen sees him in Acts chapter 7, but one who's at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. How incredible is that? But not only that, your eternal salvation, your resurrection is sure because Christ is already there and you are in Christ. Again, whatever we might be going in, to know that it is sure that we will rise with him, not a, well, he's going to win in the end. I mean, that's good and all, but how much more to say we're already there? Ephesians 1 seems to give this kind of language, doesn't it? You have been thrust into the heavenlies already. This is the struggle of the already, not yet. That says, already there, uh, not yet, because I'm still struggling in the midst of daily failings. Look to Christ, the one who is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. Look to Christ, the one who in the flesh resides in heaven already, in whom you are hidden in. And thirdly, as if all of that goodness is not already enough, thirdly, the catechism continues with more scriptures that speak of the ascension of Christ's benefits for us. It says, third, Christ's ascension benefits us because we get the Holy Spirit as a result. Jesus, when he's meeting with his disciples, tells them in John chapter 16 that he has to go away. He tells them all throughout the New Testament as he's with them that I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man will suffer and will die. He'll be raised the third day. But in John chapter 16, in beginning of verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, we don't quite fully understand that. Either Jesus right there with you, that seems like a pretty amazing advantage. The incarnate Son of God, the God-man who can turn water into wine, that's a pretty good advantage. To heal you when you're sick, that's an amazing advantage. To raise you when you died, that's nice. Seems like a great advantage to have. It is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the advantage is that if Christ leaves, if he goes, he will send someone else. He will send a helper. He will send the paraclete, the, the comforter. The Holy Spirit will come, as he says in Acts 1. Remember, he said that twice. You'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit in just a few days. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you, you will have power. Be my witnesses to the end of the earth. 
But if I don't go, I'm not going to send the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, the Spirit doesn't come, and that's a disadvantage for you. You want the Holy Spirit because the Spirit, while not in the flesh, can be with everyone at all times. So while Jesus in the flesh can walk around like you and I and be with one person at a time, a group of disciples here, but he can't be with that group over there because he's in the flesh. Whereas the Holy Spirit, when he comes, comes on everyone who is a believer all at once. So that all those flames of fire in Acts 2 are on every head of every believer, not just one, not just this room and not another place, but the Spirit comes And now we, as God's people, have the Holy Spirit indwelling us all now, who convicts us of sin, who continues to remind us of righteousness and judgment. As Jesus himself explains to his disciples, it is to your advantage I go away. This was not a knock on his earthly ministry, but Jesus understood that as a man, he was limited to be at one place at one time. But once he ascends... He could send another helper to give us power from on high, on high and to be with us forever. How incredible that because Christ has ascended, you and I have the benefit of the Holy Spirit residing with us now. One who residing in us convicts us, encourages us, illuminates your eyes to be able to understand the scriptures of which apart from the work of the Spirit, you couldn't. You struggle to read the scriptures. You struggle to understand what scripture is saying to you when you read. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the scriptures. You say, I'm an adult. I should be able to read a book and figure this out. And yet these words are not merely man's words, but they're God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Who better to ask than the one who's authored it? And the one who resides in you. So because of the ascension, you currently have the benefits of the Holy Spirit and all that he does in bringing new life, illuminating you to understand the scriptures, convicting you of sin, which doesn't always seem like an advantage, but we know it is, comforting you in your affliction, aiding you to obey God, to be fruitful in your spiritual life, encouraging, helping in our sharing of the gospel with others, working in us as his people and continuing to work in those who are not yet his for the furtherance of the kingdom of God and God's glory, that we might be his witnesses, granting us power from on high that we otherwise would not have. You have that because of the ascension of Jesus. Because Jesus has gone, the Holy Spirit has come. You cannot live this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. No matter how amazing redemption is, and it is incredible, the gospel is amazing. We can't do anything apart from it. It is absolutely worth giving your life to, and yet it is insufficient for actually living as a redeemed people of God without the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit only came because Jesus left. He left us bodily that the Spirit might reside in us spiritually. Also, we have the eternal Son of God who is interceding on our behalf, cheering us on, advocating for us before the Father. 
In the midst of our sin, he continues to love us, accept us because of his sacrifice for us. Remember, all of those four events are connected. So the work of the Spirit continues to remind us of the work of Jesus on our behalf. Jesus, as our advocate, reminds the Father of his work on our behalf. Apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his incarnation, there is no work of Jesus to point to. It would make the work of intercession or ad, uh, being an advocate on our behalf pointless. But because all four of these events, the birth of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and ascension, we now have this work, this ministry that God has done in us and for us, and for all who would believe, that continues to shape us for all of eternity until we see him face to face. We also have a guaranteed of resurrection, an eternal body forever in the presence of God. So let us not neglect, as often as the case, even for me. This is why I wanted to spend one sermon on the ascension, because I don't know that I've ever preached just on the ascension before. In some church uh, calendars, it's on there, Ascension Sunday. But it can often be easy to neglect. We didn't want to neglect, I didn't want to neglect it. It not being in Matthew, we still wanted to hit it. So let's not neglect the incredible event of the ascension and its benefits for us through the continued ministry of God in us and our world today until he comes and calls us to be with him. Christ has ascended. He was taken up into heaven because the Father accepted his sacrifice and desired to exalt the one who had humbled himself. And as Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The exalted person of Christ is your advocate in heaven now. And he has sent you, God himself, the Holy Spirit, to be with you because we will be with him in heaven forever. And in reality, we're already there. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, we are grateful for the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Grateful for a doctrine like this that can be overlooked easily. And yet what rich truths Christ gave to his disciples, letting them know ahead of time of what will happen when he ascends. The glory of the Spirit who comes as an advantage for them. And for us, we are grateful for that. Father, continue to lift our eyes to Jesus as the one who is our advocate. May that draw us to repent. May that draw us to find great joy in the gospel again and again. Yes, we sin and fail daily. And yet Christ is our advocate. The one who goes to the cross for us is still pleading with the Father on our behalf. Glorious good news. Let us revel in that. Would you continue to draw us to be quick to repent? Would you allow the work of the Holy Spirit who resides in us? Help us not to not heed his warnings, but continue to convict us. Continue to show us our sin and draw us to Jesus. And Father, always give us the mindset that already because we're hidden in Christ, our flesh is already in eternity with you 
and that we are sure as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, so we will rise to newness of eternal life in heaven forever. Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us and the grace that you have shown to us and the continued ministry of Christ and the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus on behalf of sinners. And we are grateful for that. Father, continue to bless the rest of our worship as we look forward to remembering the death of Christ until he comes in the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.